9. No, you know what? Let's start at 22. Hear the word of the Lord. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did seek corruption. This Jesus had God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would make uh, the words that we have read of the sermon of Peter to indeed be understood. Lord, you said, it is said of you, then gave he them understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You did this for your disciples back then. Lord, do it for your disciples now, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Now the last time, which was the first part of this sermon that I just read, I endeavored to show how the Apostle Paul set forth Jesus as Savior. And first Jesus came qualified and called to the task. As it is said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of or by God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. So he was qualified and called to the task. And secondly, it was the plan of the sovereign God. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So this was in the plan of God as much as it was the actions of evil men, as much as evil men reign on this world. Even at that time of 
the coming of, of the Son of God and were instrumental in his demise, nevertheless, God reigns and all things are going according to plan. And that's not just the plans of men, but the plan of God. And third, not even death could stop him whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains or the pangs of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Then why? Well, first and foremost, he is God Almighty. He is the Son of God, meaning the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And also because he is prophesied, even previously in the Old Testament, that he would have victory over the dark domain. And God is not a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar, but God is not a liar. And when he promised this, when he swore this, that it was going to happen, it happened. And that is again because God is God. And then uh, we have also the, uh, the fourth point in that it was prophesied again that Christ would accomplish this. And that was what essentially Psalm 16 was all about, that he reiterates in his preaching. He recalls in his sermon, that is Peter, how that King David is speaking, and yet someone else is also speaking. That is Christ. Jesus, the Holy One. There's no one else but one Holy One. And it's certainly not David, but it's God manifest in the flesh. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Please as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Do you know where that came from? Hark the herald angels sing. Probably didn't recognize it, did you? This time, part two, I seek to show you, to prove to you that God said, set forth Jesus as Lord and Christ. Last time it was setting forth Jesus as Savior, now as Lord and Christ. Just so that you know, this can't be David, according to verse 29, which again I will read. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher, his tomb, is with us unto this day. Peter's appealing to his fellow Jews, first of all, first and foremost, and this is very important, because it's the only way you can appeal to them and, and be heard and have an audience. And you know, the first thing about witnessing or apologetics, as perhaps this is uh, also a good example of, is that you have to find common ground. You have to be on speaking terms. You have to uh, determine speaking points, and you can't get any closer to the heart of a Jew than through the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Have you heard of that before? And it's so true. In other words, the Old Testament is explained in the New Testament. And what follows, and especially in the fulfillment of those prophecies that were forecasted to come, and especially the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His finished work. And of course, the Old Testament would of necessity be the New Testament concealed. It's in 
a shadowy form that is in types and, and archetypes and, uh, and uh, symbols and the like that are to be opened up later. It's like a flower that uh, someone likened it to flower. The history of redemption is like a flower that is in seed form and then grows, right? Uh, springs up and then starts to form buds and then those buds start to open up and open up until they're in full bloom. And that's what we have in the, the New and the Old Testaments and that's why both are important. He's saying that as Peter, let me tell you about the patriarch, our patriarch David, our forefather David. He is still dead and buried. That's what he's basically saying. His remains are in this tomb near Shiloam, which is, by the way, south of the city of the great king, which is Jerusalem. And David was considered the great king, but we know that there is a greater king than him who would follow, right? Who would be called also the king of, of Salem or the king of Jerusalem, which is where he began his rulership, as it were. This is the place, for example, where Jesus healed a man who was from his birth born blind in John chapter 9. So I'd ask you to turn to it. Make use of your Bibles. Open it up and follow along. This is very important. And so in verses 1 through 7, I'm going to read. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Always trying to trip him up. Uh, these uh, religious leaders, these blind leaders of the blind. And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Oh, they have sinned, but, but understand he is, again, making a point here. Uh, that is not because of his sin nor of his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. It's like looking at that uh, half-filled cup as half-full instead of half-empty. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, his, his spit, we call it. We don't call it spittle anymore. Spit, okay? <laughs> and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Do you think the blind man was offended? Ugh. I don't think so. And then he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the word Siloam means scent. It's like Jesus sending him to that pool. It's like later on his sending him with the gospel, as we will note shortly. So after applying the clay with his spittle, his spit, to the eyes of this blind man, born blind, he sent him off to wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And then we read on in 50, I'm sorry, 35. 9.35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And this is actually <laughs> uh, making a long story short. 
And when he had found him, and by the way, if you want to know what happened in between, read it for yourself, okay? <laughs> it's a, a beautiful story. It's a wonderful story of what God does in lives of his children. He said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? He's looking straight in the eye. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen me. He can see now. Thou hast both seen me, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Oh, if only our evangelistic efforts would yield such immediate fruit. I mean, we would all be out there <laughs> harvesting from the white fields, fields white in harvest. And so Peter's sermon is not about David, is my point. It is all about Messiah or the Christ. That means the anointed of God, the son of the living God. Secondly, precisely, it is about the fruit of David's loins, as it's described. And that's Christ, if I can read uh, back in Acts chapter 2. Hope you're tracking with me here. Uh, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Imagine God swore an oath to David, just as he swore an oath to, uh, to, to Adam, just as he swore an oath to Noah, just as he swore an oath to Abraham. He swears an oath to David and to others that follow and this was a thousand years approximately before the coming of Christ. One of the fruit of David's loins, that's an expression. In other words, one of his descendants. Will God raise up to sit upon his throne? And that's not David's throne that David is speaking about, that David is prophesying about. That is God's throne. Peter doesn't mince his words as to who this is that God will raise up, does he? It says in what I just read, that he would raise up Christ. Let me tell you something about some versions. Some versions would leave out Christ because they want to make it more smooth, flowing, and, 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 and it's like you don't want to just blurt out the answer ahead of time. So they, so they make it so that the, it sounds smoother and, and, and flowing and, and, and leads to this conclusion that ah, just nips it in the bud, right? But in the meantime, they, they corrupt the text. They corrupt the text. They leave out Christ, which is in the original. And when I speak about that, not the original manuscripts, because we don't have them anymore, but in the original uh, uh, copies that were made of the original autographs. And so I'm just throwing that out uh, just for good measure because I want you to know that you need to be careful about which version, okay? You have to really take care of that and do so prayerfully. Well, again, God swore an oath to David on the Bible. You know how you, in the court of law, swear on the Bible? On the Old Testament, over a thousand years before, that one of the fruits of David's loins 
his descendant, that is, will God raise up to sit upon God's throne. And, he, and Peter doesn't mince his words. He even goes on to say, and seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. Peter, at least Peter, is making that unequivocal statement of declaration. Now whether we believe he was inspired or not is another thing, but I think you, you better accept it because several hundreds, if not thousands of years, 2,000 to be exact, corroborates his authorship as well as that of David's. This descendant soul, whoever this soul is, and that's Christ, will not be left in Hades. That's the Greek for the place of the dead. Show in the Old Testament the same thing. The grave, the tomb, the sepulcher, they're all the same thing. Cemetery, whatever you want to call it, that's where David still lies to this day. But not Jesus. Because he has raised him from the dead. Look to another prophecy in Isaiah 53, 9 and 10. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 9 and 10. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. This is about who? Christ. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his this is about Christ. This is about Jesus Christ. He shall see a seed. Remember the seed of the woman that will be saved by the seed of seeds, Jesus, in the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. That's the seed of believers that Jesus, the chief seed, will see, meaning he will realize. That is, he will save. Why? Because he goes on to say, he shall prolong his days. The fact is, is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that is why we have hope. And that is why this becomes the theme of the whole book of Acts, is the preaching of the resurrection. Because if Jesus remained in the grave, eventually his body will rot. But worse than that, none of us will be saved. We will, we will have a faith that is hopeless we will have our sins yet to bring with us before the judgment seat of God and so this is why this is why this sermon is all about Messiah the Christ the son of the living God and no one else and then lastly there are many witnesses in verse 32 of Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 32. I know that some of you must be texting me, so that's why I don't hear the uh, ruffle of, uh, of the leaves of, of, of your Bibles. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm listening for that. Anyway. 
Oh, for the old days. <laughs> Verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he, that is David, saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, meaning God the Father said to my Lord Jesus, sit thou on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. First, earthly witnesses. And I have to take you to another scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, and read it first to establish what those earthly witnesses are all about. Because Paul, uh, Peter says, for we are all witnesses, didn't he? So let's see what that's all about. So in 1 Corinthians 15, turn to it, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, this is what we read. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Everything is established by the word of God. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's why this is your rule of faith and practice. This is the foundation, or ought to be the foundation of your life and for your daily living. And not all of those other books out there. Even books about the Bible, as, as edifying as they may be, like I mentioned J.C. Ryle, he's not inspired. He's not infallible. He's not inerrant. This is. God is. And so, we continue. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Kephas, Peter. Then of the twelve, after that he was seen of above 500, 500 brethren, wow, at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, meaning a few have died. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me, meaning Paul, the apostle, also as of one born out of due time. 500 witnesses? Now come on, and, and, and that's not even counting... The others that are mentioned, right? The, uh, the disciples, for example, uh, I, I, I do believe that, that uh, he, he's speaking of incidents, of occasions, of events, of, of the appearing of the uh, resurrected Christ in his resurrection body. And, and they're witnessing him in, on these different occasions. But let's just stick to 500, okay? 500. Now, how many do you really need in order to corroborate anything? One. The Bible says... Two or three. In the mouths of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So if we were to go by the Bible, you far exceeded the, 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 the two or the three. Then there are the heavenly witnesses. If we go back to our text in Acts chapter 2, we see who they are. Found in that passage, that latter part of his sermon in Acts chapter 2, where it says... Verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, he hath, he hath shed forth this or poured forth this which you now see and hear. Now shed and pouring forth are like 
what our Lord did when he poured forth blood from his, his uh, body through his sacrifice in our behalf. Uh, pouring forth is like the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Prior to the Apostle Peter's sermon, which he preached. And so, the first heavenly witness, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who, of whom was poured out himself and the promise of his coming and his coming into those disciples in order to empower them to go out with the gospel. Even as our Lord Jesus declared upon his resurrection and ascension into his glory, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea and Jerusalem, and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But you must tarry in Jerusalem that the Holy Spirit will come, and that has happened. And finally, there is God the Father, according to verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he that is David again saith himself, the Lord, that is God the Father, saith unto my Lord God the Son, sit thou on my right hand. Another prophecy of David in the Psalms. Until I make thy footstool, thy foes, thy footstool, that is to be subject unto the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, which will happen. What does the last book of the Bible have to say about that? I had an occasion to look this verse up, but uh, a loved one of mine now, who is a believer in Christ, my sister, uh, was on fire to make this point that every knee will bow. <laughs> and I uh, resorted to uh, Revelation eleven fifteen. So let's turn to it, shall we? Revelation eleven, fifteen, which reads, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And if God if 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 God swore before to David, he is now swearing to us through the writer of Revelation, which is John, and it's the same thing. It is the same message. It is the same prophecy, only now fulfilled in that day. Because this is forecasting the last day on this earth. And this is sure than anything. This is sure than the law of gravity, that whatever goes up must come down. This is sure than you and I who say this sure. The only thing greater are the witness of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, again, it is all about Messiah. It is all about Christ. It is all about the Son of God. As I said earlier, the Son of God loved me. And you, if you're in Christ, and gave himself for us. In conclusion, we have verse 36 yet to look at. The uh, summary or conclusion or application, whatever you want to call it. And this is the application to his original audience in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. So let me read that in conclusion. Therefore, let all the house of Israel that are all present and accounted for there uh, at uh, Pentecost in Jerusalem know assuredly 
without a doubt that God hath made the same Jesus both whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ both Lord and Christ Lord meaning Kyrios the sovereign Lord Christ anointed of God the one who was prophesied to come in order to save his people from their sins and to bring justice to bear upon this sin-torn and Satan-ravaged world. He will bring it all together. Notice, notice tucked in there, whom the same Jesus whom you have crucified. There are many in attendance there. Maybe not all, but probably the majority that were at the crucifixion of our Lord just a few weeks before. Paul, or I should say Peter, cuts to the chase. You know what that means. That doesn't mean chase Manhattan. <laughs> he cuts to the chase, meaning the truth, the bottom line. Just like someone in the past that called the king of Jerusalem at the time, David, on the turf, when he said, that is Nathan said to the king, thou art the man. And you are the one that did this dastardly deed of murdering one of your chief servants and right-hand men, Uriah, and having committed adultery with his wife and taken her to yourself. You are the man. The Bible is the most honest book there is in the whole world. It will not hold back. Even when people might use those very arguments to destroy the Bible, forget it. They won't the truth shall make you free. Remember the words of, of Peter in his epistle when he said, for the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. And that's where God first begins the cleanup. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? So, bow your knee to King Jesus now. Serve him today while it is day for the night comes when no man can work he is Lord he is Lord he is risen from the dead and he is Lord every knee shall bow every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord shall we pray oh father in heaven we pray that you would help us that you would make us alive that you would make our hearts alive and Lord to sing, to sing with thankful glee, with joyful praise at our great and glorious God who has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten us the victory, even our salvation. Oh God, help us in the light of what we have heard and, and especially in the light of all what your scriptures teach. Glorify you. In the name of your Son.